Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We are an Acts 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through his word and by his spirit. So we, we start a new series tonight called We Believe and uh, we're going to look at something called the Apostles' Creed over the next eight weeks. We're doing this because we believe as, um, as leaders in the church that it's important that, um, that we as followers of Jesus are clear about what we believe. We live in a world where you can believe what you want. Um, if it feels good, do it. But that isn't the Bible way. The Bible gives us um, clearly what we should believe. And so we feel at the start of this year we want to take some time um, to do that. So just, just um, off the bat, just to say that we are not believers in a creed. Like we've not gone kind of strange on you. We are Bible believers. And... Um, over the next eight weeks, we're not preaching the creed. What we're doing is we're preaching the word of God that is reflected in the creed. In a moment, I'm going to read the creed to you, the Apostles' Creed. Yeah? What we're doing is we're using the creed to preach the Bible. Because creed, creeds, statements of faith, in themselves, they have no authority. All they are are words that are formed by men or women, scholars, to emphasise a particular point. The authority that, where, the authority that creeds gain, their, gain the source of their authority is the Bible, is the Word of God. So it's important that we remember that. It's a bit like, I heard this illustration this week as I was um, thinking about how to communicate this to you tonight. It's a bit like the moon, yeah? So the moon in itself, it doesn't have... Um, a, 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 a source of energy or light. What it does, it relies on the energy and the light of the sun in order to reflect back to us what it is. And that is the same with a creed. What the creed simply does is reflect the truth of God's word back to us in a way that's concise and, and, and in a way that we can understand it. So the Apostles' Creed that we're looking at is, it's a creed that's been around, I mean, tradition has it that the Apostles actually wrote it. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but I do know that it reflects Bible truth, and it's certainly been around since the second or third century. And it's a series of statements that the church has believed over the last almost 2,000 years. And um, why do we have creeds? Why did the apostles have this creed? Why has the church had a creed like this? It's had it for two, two main reasons. First of all, so that it would be something that would correct error. Because from time to time, people get their own ideas and they kind of drift from the narrative of truth that the Bible gives us. So it's there to keep the church from error. And when I read it in a moment to you, you will see that it's, that it's very concise and clear. Like, it's not going into the detail of the Bible or the truth, but it's kind of stating some headlines about the Word of God and things that we hold to. And actually, very important, there's, there's a word that actually has, has become a bit 
um, tarnished, the word fundamental. Yeah, you've heard the word fundamentalist. Like, but these are, in the best sense of the word, these are fundamental truths. They're, they're important to our faith. They, these are truths that we as followers of Christ and believers of the Bible hold to. So it's there to correct error, and also it's been used by the church to shape the people of God around what is true. What it is, is not a magic formula. Like if you say this, if you said this creed 20 times, it wouldn't make you any more spiritual, okay? It's, it, again, to emphasize, it draws its authority from the Bible. The only reason why this, this creed has any credibility whatsoever is because it is derived from the truth of Scripture and it's put in a way so that we can understand these particular beliefs. And so, as I read this creed to you in a moment, what this creed does is it sets the people of God out as different. When we, when we proclaim this creed, what we, are, what we are saying is that our allegiance is with God, that our allegiance is with the Word of God, that, we, that really as we read this, because of what it says and what it stands for, we, we really are rejecting the spirit of this world and we're saying that we stand with the Word of God and we stand with Jesus. We don't stand with the spirit of the world that would say it's important, um, it's more important about what you have, or it's important how you look, or it's important who likes you. Okay, all of those are narratives that the world were trying to put onto us. What we do when we proclaim this creed is we make it very clear that our allegiance is with another, our allegiance is with God. Um, and I'll, I'll, as I read this to you now, there's just one phrase that I want to clarify within the creed, because I don't want any of you leaving here tonight thinking, Lucas is up the creek. I mean, not that you would ever think that about me, of course. Never think Lucas is up the creek, do you? Um, but th there is a particular phrase in here that describes the church. And the apostles, uh, in the Apostles' Creed, when it was written, they used the phrase, the Holy Catholic Church. Now, that isn't referring to the Catholic Church as we understand it today. It's re, it's re, that word Catholic actually means universal. So it's talking about the church. So in fact, me personally, when I read the creed now, rather than saying the Holy Catholic Church, I've come up with a nonconformist version. And the nonconformist version is, um, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the church. Yeah, Because that's what I believe in. I believe in the church. And... I, so here what I'm saying, when it was written, they weren't describing a particular denomination, but I understand in our culture today, it can sound, when you read a creed like this, that all of a sudden, Life Church would become a bunch of Catholics, you know? And there's some very good Catholics, by the way. Please don't start quoting me out there as someone who... But, but we're not the Catholic Church. Like, we're the church. And that's, that's what God calls us in his word. So here is the creed. Let me read it to you. Lord... As we read this creed now, Lord, I pray that we will continue to understand and that you'll give us revelation that the light and life and authority of this creed comes from your word. And Lord, I pray as a result of these eight weeks of looking at this creed that we won't, look, we won't simply know a creed or some truth, but we'll know more about your word and the truth of your word. And that truth won't just be head knowledge, 
but it will be something that we believe in our hearts and affects the way that we live our lives in following you. Lord, help us to do that. We can only do that by your spirit and with your help. So, Lord, will you help us to do that, we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is the creed, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. And as you look at that creed, as I've looked at that and studied it this week and began to think about the different elements of it, you can't help thinking it is ridiculously, in the best sense of the word, it's ridiculously miraculous. Like, the creed there is full of miracles that have happened, things that are supernatural that can't be explained on a human level. Like, for example... We, we are stating in this creed, and this is what we will look at this evening particularly, we are stating in this creed that God is the creator of heaven and earth. Like that is something that is way beyond our understanding. We're, we're stating in, the, in, this, um, in this creed that um, Jesus, the Son of God, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That is not something that can be explained in a test tube. Like that is miraculous. We're, we're looking at the Bible, we're looking at this, this creed this evening, and we're being reminded that um, Jesus not only died on a cross, but he rose from the dead. We're being reminded that um, Jesus was, was born of a virgin. It's another miracle. We're being reminded that Jesus has ascended to heaven, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will return again. All of these things are gloriously miraculous. And it reminds me as we look at this creed and the word of God behind it, that Life Church, I remind us again tonight that our God is a supernatural God. He is beyond comprehension. You cannot put him in a box. You cannot, ex- you cannot on a human level, explain who, what God is and, and who he is. And we mustn't try to sanitize and humanize our Christian faith. We thank God that he came, that Jesus came and was 100% human and 100% God, that God showed himself to us in humanity. But we, we have to be careful that we don't, in, in our Christian world, we have to understand that there, are, there will be and there should be moments that are beyond our understanding because our God is a supernatural God and he calls us as his followers to, be, to seek to be naturally supernatural so if we believe this creed then obviously we need to begin to understand a little bit more of 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 what sits behind it so in there are two parts to what i'm going to say to us this evening concisely 
The first thing I'm going to talk to us about this evening, the first part of the creed, first thing I'm going to talk to us about is I believe in God the Father Almighty, and then um, the second part is going to be creator of heaven and earth. And so to get some insight this evening into what it means to believe in God the Father Almighty, I want to take us to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Because the reason I use these verses is because if we want to understand a little more of the character of the Father that we believe in, the creed says, I believe in God the, Fa- God the, I believe in God the Father Almighty, A great place to do that is to look at a prayer that Jesus, the Son, pointed his disciples to when he began to teach them about prayer. And we've talked about it already this evening. We read the the Lord's Prayer twice. And we notice that as Jesus teaches them this prayer or articulates this prayer to them, he uses those words, our Father. And in that, he's talking about God the Father. So when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Father that Jesus describes in the Lord's Prayer is this God the Father Almighty. And so just a few, ver- just a, the few verses of this prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says these words and begins to reveal to the disciples a little of the Father's character. When he says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The amazing thing as we begin to articulate and look at that prayer is the, is, the, um, the, is the contrast between Jesus describing Father God as Abba Father. That's the word that he uses in this context. He uses the word Abba, which is like, which is like Daddy. It's a phrase that's used to describe it when God is tender. He's a tender father towards his children. But, but, but as, as, as Jesus describes that prayer, you have these two excre- extremities, yeah? You have Jesus describing the Father God Almighty as Abba Father, but also he goes on to say that Abba Father is in heaven. And so here we have this contrast of, of an all-powerful God being articulated and demonstrated as Jesus begins to articulate his prayer. It's an all-powerful God, but yet he makes himself very personal to those that he's speaking to. Our Father in heaven. And as the prayer goes on, what Jesus begins to do is he begins to demonstrate and show different characteristics of this God the Father Almighty that we profess to believe in. The first, the first thing is this, that we, there are four things in this Lord's Prayer of, thing, of, of the character of God the Father that's revealed to us and which then de- demands a response from us if we profess to believe in God the Father Almighty. The first thing is this, that we believe in a Father who is over all. That is our God. 
He's overall. Notice that um, Jesus prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's an intentionality that Jesus invites us to enter into as we pray those prayers, as we pray that prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come. There's a partnership between God and heaven. And what, what, we're, what, we, what we're beginning to understand here is that ultimately God is bringing his will and his reign to the earth. And the way that we should respond to that is that we should respond and understand that as we, as we talk about this creed, as we talk about the truth that we believe in God the Father Almighty, that this, that this Father who is over all, if he's in control of the world, which we believe he is, if he's in control of this world, then he's in control of your life and my life. And, he, and you know what, Life Church, even when life throws a curveball at you, Okay, his word doesn't change, it's still the same, and he invites us to trust him and to submit our lives to him. His desire is that we would know what it is as our Heavenly Father, our Abba Father, understanding that he's personal to us, but yet he has absolute control. So we believe in a Father who is overall. Secondly, we believe in a Father who provides enough. Jesus says these words in, um, in, in seeking to show us more of the character of God the Father. He says, give us today our daily bread. He doesn't, he doesn't say that God will always give us what we want. It's only a selfish, unloving parent who would always say yes to their children. But we see again in the character of God that there is someone, that God the Father is someone who will provide what we need day by day. And I understand that in our congregation there will be some of us who have more than others. But I think the fact that we're here this evening, and I would hope that none of us are hungry, that there is that sense that God has been true to who he is as our Heavenly Father. That he has given us our daily bread. He has provided for us. And so our response to that, I feel, is that if he has provided all that I have needed, then Lord, help me to be generous with what I have. If I believe in a Father who provides enough for me, I believe in God the Father Almighty. If that is an element of his character, then my response to that needs to be, Lord, as I trust you for my daily bread, let there be an expression from my life that articulates and expresses that trust to others around me so that I live my life in a way that's generous towards others. We believe in a Father who provides enough. Third thing is we believe in a Father who forgives us. Jesus, as he talks about the Father, he says we should pray and forgive us our sins. We can be confident this evening that as we say, I believe in the Father God Almighty, that he is someone who, is, who loves to come and he loves to forgive our sins. 1 John 2 says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case. Daniel 9.9, our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled 
against him. So as we speak this creed out, we draw authority from this, these characteristics of the Father that have been revealed to us through the Lord's Prayer. But in, in, saying, in saying those words there that we believe in a Father who forgives us, then what's our response to that? Well, Jesus makes it clear what the Father's heart is, the way that he wants us to respond, because it's, as you have forgiven me, help me to forgive others. And that's a challenge to us, because there are times in our lives where people hurt us, they disappoint us, they say unkind things, they do things against us. But the character of this God that we believe in, I believe in God the Father Almighty. He's someone who, who loves to come to us and to forgive us, but he also brings us to that place where he asks us to forgive others also. And then the final part of this character of the Father that Jesus expresses in the Lord's Prayer is that we believe in a Father who delivers us from temptation. And living in a world where there can be so much temptation, like there can be temptation literally before us every day, the Bible reveals to us that part of God's character that he wants to help us in our times of temptation and weakness. He's a God that we can believe in, that he is so powerful, but he's so personal that he wants to walk with us through those moments of temptation in our individual lives. He's strong enough and he's kind enough to do that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul reminds the church of this. He says that the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow you the temptation, He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure it. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And so our response to that this evening, when we say those words, I believe in God the Father Almighty, and as we look at his character and who he is, our response is, Lord, I will seek to be holy as you are holy. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me. And um, Lord, help me to overcome temptation and to rejoice in that. And so Life Church this evening, as we think about God the Father Almighty, we remind ourselves that He is a God the Father Almighty who is overall. He is a God the Father Almighty who provides enough. He's a God the Father Almighty who forgives us. He's a God the Father Almighty who delivers us from temptation. Okay? All of those aspects of his character are there for us to understand and to know that this God who is infinite, who is all-powerful in the person of God the Father is willing to come close to us and to, and to interact 
in our lives, interact in the control of our lives, interact in the provision in our lives, to interact in terms of forgiveness, to interact with us, with you and me, in terms of those moments when we might face temptation in our lives. Like That shows to me that this God who created the heavens and the earth, he's not someone who wants to be distant and away from us. But when we say those words, I believe in God the Father Almighty, it, Jesus is reminding us here in, in the book of Matthew as he says the Lord's Prayer that this God is not, although he's a God who is all-powerful, he's a God who we address as Abba Father and he draws close to us. And then the second part of what we're, we're emphasising tonight in this creed, okay? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Like what a statement to make that... Uh, that that God the Father is the creator of heaven and earth. And if any of you have ever taken any time to glimpse or to research or to see or to begin to understand that, um, the sheer extravagance of the universe, the, the billions upon billions of stars and galaxies, like, it's just incredible like, what, what there is there. And where did it all begin? In terms of his creation, the Bible says in Genesis 1 verse 26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And it's incredible this evening that as we, make, as we, as we, as we speak that statement out, I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, that we are speaking about someone who is our Abba Father, He's someone who wants to draw close to us. But if we believe the Bible narrative, and I do, then he's also the person that created everything that we see and know. And even, like, sometimes man can think he's so clever because he just discovers something else. Oh, we've discovered this galaxy. Oh, we've discovered that galaxy. Like, it's always been there. But all of a sudden, we discover it and we think we're clever. Like, we're just not clever. Like, God is just so much infinitely more than we are. And the amazing thing is, as we speak this creed out, what we're saying is we're simply affirming that we believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And I think we also understand this evening that if you believe in a creator, then there is human accountability. And I do feel, for not for everyone, I can't speak for everyone, but I do feel for many people that when they, when they seek to maybe use uh, science or, or other things in that field to seek to disprove God, I do feel that with some people, it's because there is a sense that if, they can, if they, in their minds they can prove that there is no God, then there is no accountability. Like, there's no one to be accountable to. If our creator does exist, then he has the right to tell us how to live. Like, he knows best. He is our creator. And we should listen, and we should respond to him. And so, as we... As, as there, are, there, are, there are three... And I am a simple kind of guy, yeah? This is simplistic. But you can go in as deep as you want into these, but this is to give you an overview. I think there are, th there are three reasons why when I speak that creed out, I speak it in absolute confidence. I, I speak it in faith as well. 
I speak in faith that I believe that God, the Father Almighty, is the creator of heaven and earth. Okay, so the first one is this. That's, I, believe that we, I believe that God is the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, because first of all, I believe that scripture states it. And we, we must always understand, Christians, yeah, that we, we believe the word of God. And, and there is no doubt from scripture, in my opinion, that, 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 that scripture clearly states that God created the heavens and the earth. You know what, when you look at a lot of different translations for different verses in the Bible, like when scholars get together, they kind of change that or tweak that or they change the, the gender of that word or they change the emphasis in that verse. But when you look at Genesis chapter 1, like they all say the same thing. All of them say, like literally they say this, apart from the King James Version that adds an S on the end of one of these words. But all of them, NIV, New King James, King James Version, New Living Translation, New American Standard Version, all of them, they say the same thing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I just don't think there's a lot of interpretation to be had there. I just think that's what it is. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The reason why... That statement in the creed is so powerful is because I believe that that is the scriptural narrative of creation, that God created the heavens and the earth. The Amplified Version, they like to add their little bit in, don't they? But here, this is what they say. They say, in the beginning, God created by forming from nothing the heavens and the earth. Colossians 1 verse 16 says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. John 1 verse 2, in that, those lovely verses that we read at Christmas time, which remind us that the Son of God, the Word, became flesh and made his dwelling a mother. Speaking of the Word, it says, all things were made through him. And Jesus himself affirms the Genesis narrative when in Matthew 19, he quotes from Genesis chapter 2. Jesus understood the Old Testament, the book of the law. And he would have been familiar with the narrative of creation from the scriptures. And so scripture states it. So that's why when we make that statement from the creed that we believe that God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, we believe it because scripture states it. Secondly, we believe it, I believe this evening, because creation declares it. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And even in, in um, the time of Paul in Romans, when he writes to the church at Rome, there were, there were those that were denying that God existed. And Paul in the book of Romans, he brings a challenge to them in Romans chapter 1. And he says this, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not going, knowing God. Another version says, so that men are without excuse or men are without defense. Because creation, creation declares the fact that God created the heavens and the earth. So scripture states it, 
Creation declares it. And also this evening I would put to you that science points to it. And I, I am not an expert in this field, but I know a man who is. There's a guy called Professor John Lennox. Professor John Lennox came and visited our church about six or seven years ago. He came to the Par Hall as well. Professor John Lennox is a mathematician. He's a philosopher of science, a Christian apologist, who is the professor of mathematics at Oxford University. He holds a PhD from Cambridge, a doctorate in science from the University of Wales, and he's a doctor of philosophy at Oxford. He's written a zillion books. And he is someone that, with all of his scientific knowledge, points and encourages us to understand that science points towards intelligent design and a creator. He says this, I've got two quotes. First quote is this, it's on the screen now. Far from science abolishing God, it would seem that there is a substantial case for asserting that it is the existence of a creator that gives to science its fundamental intellectual justification. John Lennox. And then to conclude, John Lennox also says this in a book that he wrote called God and Stephen Hawkins, Whose Design Is It Anyway? He says these words. He said, we have only to see a few letters of the alphabet spelling our name in the sand to recognize at once the work of an intelligent agent. How much more likely then is the existence of an intelligent creator be behind human DNA? The colossal biological database that contains no fewer than 3.5 billion letters, the longest word yet discovered. And we need to... We need to understand that often there can be an anti-God agenda, like we are bombarded with it, like it's kind of like it can't be true because science says this or science says that. Science says a lot of things and uh, there are good scientists that say that intelligent design, creation is the narrative that we should believe and that we should understand. And uh, if you're interested in pursuing this more, I'd in in encourage you to read Professor John Lennox's books and others as well. And also there's a book by a guy called Lee Strobel who wrote a book called The Case for a Creator. You see, there are men and women far more intelligent than me that say science points towards it. That as we make that statement, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And the reason why, Life Church, as I finish this evening, the reason why we talk about these things is I want you, as followers of Christ, to be people that are confident in what we believe. I don't want us to feel that we, that, that, that we can be shut down or not listened to because we believe in a God who created the heavens and the earth. This creed that we will preach into over these next eight weeks. It's a reflection of the word of God. I would encourage you, as we read, as we reflect, as we preach, I would encourage you, yourself, to read and to research and to reflect upon the word of God. That we would become followers of Christ that don't just seek to have a head knowledge of things, 
But we have a deep belief of what we are called to and what we believe. This evening we've been reminded that the Father we believe in is all-powerful, ruling and reigning. Yet you and me, this week as we live our lives, as we make that statement, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. But we also understand that as we make that statement, that makes him out to be someone who is so big and almost beyond us. This evening, Life Church, as we live our lives, we remind each other that we address him as Abba Father. He is someone who wants to be intimately involved in your life and my life this week as we follow him. And we remind ourselves this evening that the Bible teaches us, creation proclaims it. And I believe science points to it as well. It tells us and it reminds us that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth. And when you believe that, when you believe that there's a God who created the heavens and the earth, all of a sudden, me and you are definitely not an accident. Like we're not here by chance. We're here because God has predestined us to be here. And so there's a sense of confidence that we can have as we live our lives in following Christ because we know that God goes be before us. I want us to have a confidence in the gospel and a confidence in what we believe. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Please keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.livechurchwarrington.com.